Guardian Unlimited. Dr. Tony Wright, number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, sir, before listing my engagements, I should say that during this week we have sadly lost a member of our House. Eric Forth was a redoubtable opponent, caustic at times, fearless and principled always, often witty, a lot of it at my expense. But he was also privately immensely courteous, friendly and just a thoroughly decent man. We all send our deepest sympathy and condolences to his family. Mr. Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others in addition to my duties in the House. I will have further such meetings later today. Dr. Wright, I'm sure the whole House would want to associate itself with what the Prime Minister has just said. When he was in Baghdad this week, the former American ambassador to the United Nations, Richard Holbrook, was in this country saying that it was now ridiculous for anyone to suggest that Iraq was not in a state of civil war. Does the Prime Minister agree, and where does that leave our promise not to leave Iraq until a stable democracy is established? I think that the, the people best able to give a, a sense of where Iraq is today and where it needs to be are the people that are now in government, elected by 12 million Iraqi votes. And what they describe to me is a situation where, for the first time, they have a genuine unity government. In other words, we have Sunni, Shia and Kurds sitting down, working together, all of them representing parties that have stood in elections and been elected um, by the people of Iraq. I may say that none of them wanted the multinational force to withdraw immediately, but all of them believe that the terrorism that is attempting to push their country into civil war is a terrorism that has to be defeated, that can be defeated by the united will of the Iraqi people who want democracy and the international community that should support them in that endeavor. And I believe, as the Prime Minister, the new Prime Minister of Iraq said to me, that if we defeat terrorism there, we will defeat it everywhere. David Cameron. Can I begin by adding my tribute to Eric Forth? He was a master at this dispatch box. He had a quick wit, a brilliant mind, and above all, a dedication to this place. While he loved the Commons, he also worked hard for people in Bromley and Chislehurst. From his seat um, just behind me, he gave a running commentary on Prime Minister's questions. He had a few things to say about the Prime Minister's performance, but just as often he had a few things to say about mine as well. <laughs> he always spoke his mind about everything, but he was a principal defender of what he believed in, and he will be missed by everyone. The new Home Secretary has said that the Immigration and Nationality Directorate, after nine years of a Labour government, is inadequate, dysfunctional and not fit for purpose. More than two years ago, in February 2004, the Prime Minister said that the Immigration and Nationality Directorate is, and I quote, a transformed part of the Home Office. <laughs> does, he, does he now agree that that judgment was completely wrong? Let me give him the facts of what has changed over the past nine years. I think it's fair to point out that whereas over the last four years of the Conservative government, asylum applications rose by 50%, we have, this is the record, we have reduced asylum claims to below what we inherited in 1997. 
Whereas they used to take 22 months over initial asylum applications, now 80% are decided within two months. We have doubled the number of people removed who are failed asylum seekers. And as opposed to the previous government, we now have a situation where we actually know the numbers of people we need to deport and can deport them. So, I agree there is huge change still necessary for the reasons my right honourable friend gives, that we have waves of migration, not just in this country, but throughout Europe. Migration is a major issue in the United States at the moment for the self-same reasons. There has been, as he said, huge progress in the next nine years, but there needs to be much more. To try and blame previous Conservative Home Secretaries just won't wash. He'll be blaming Sir Robert Peel next. <laughs> Let's just be clear about what the Prime Minister said and what the Home Secretary said. The Prime Minister said it was a transformed part of the Home Office. How has it done it? By changing the law, by innovating, by setting targets, targets, by leadership, by focusing on results. The Home Secretary, who's trying to help the Prime Minister in his hour of need, said this. <laughs> he said it is inadequate in terms of its information technology, leadership, management systems and processes. How can those two possibly wash? Very reason I've just given him, because I'm not, yes, no, I'm not, blaming, I'm not blaming the last Conservative government. No. I'm not blaming the last Conservative government. I'm simply pointing out that the system that we inherited in 1997 was a system that took ages to decide asylum claims, where the numbers of asylum seekers rose and where people were not removed who were failed asylum seekers. It is a fact that the number of asylum claims is now down. It is a fact that the number of removals has doubled. And it is a fact that the claims are now decided, 80% of them, in two months. It is also, however, the case that much more needs to be done. All right, if ministers are going to take responsibility, perhaps the Prime Minister could answer this. Can he explain why the minister, who's been judged too incompetent to run the immigration part of the Home Office, has been put in charge of the police? <laughs> I do not accept that that is why he has been moved. And I would point out that it's under my, my honourable friend, the member for Harrow East, that we actually have doubled the number of removals of a failed asylum seekers. But let us just, yeah, but let us just go... Let us just go to the measures that we now need to take. We need to introduce the new immigration point system, as we have outlined, but we also need to introduce the electronic borders that we have suggested, and we need a proper system of identity for everybody in this country. In addition, we need to change the law on deportation. And let me just point out to the right honourable gentleman that every time this government has sought to take measures well, yes, because although they talk about tackling the problem in general, they oppose the measures in particular necessary to do it. So let me just point out to him that they have opposed the measures that increased our powers to deport. They opposed... Uh, order. The, the Honourable Gentleman must give the, the Prime Minister an opportunity to answer the question. And there's far, order, far, far too much shouting down. Far too much shooting there. Prime Minister. I was merely pointing out to the right honourable gentleman that every time he and his party have had an opportunity to vote for tougher measures. <laughs> I tell you this that uh, anybody hissing, I can't find out who's hissing. So the next move is I suspend, I suspend the House and we don't have Prime Minister's question time. Yeah.
culture out there. So the behaviour, the behaviour must improve, or I suspend the house. That's the next move. Prime Minister, merely pointing out to honourable members opposite that every time we have proposed tougher measures, for example, to de deport people or to find those illegally getting people into our country, or we have tightened the law on those people who are in prison and we need to deport, every time we have tried to tighten the law, they have voted against it. And I, with respect, well, there's no use him looking puzzled. I'll tell him, does he want me to go through each and every measure? And I'll tell him. Right? They voted against deporting foreign national prisoners at halfway point of their sentence. They voted against removing refugee convention protection from all prisoners sentenced to two years. They voted against the single tier of appeal system, which is an absolutely vital part of getting people out of the country. They failed to support fines for carriers of illegal immigrants, one-stop appeals or penalties for spurious appeals. They also have abstained on the measures for a point system and limiting the rights of appeal in this country. In other words, the charge against the right honourable gentleman with respect is that every time we propose a tough measure, he opposes it. Honestly, it's hard to know where to start. If the Honourable Member for Harrow East was doing such a good job, why was he moved from his job? Yeah. If the Prime Minister says we've opposed this legislation, we've been telling him about the problems of the Human Rights Act for years and he said it was all fine. In the last week, we've learnt that 85 foreign criminals who've committed serious crimes are still at large, 700 people have escaped from open prisons last year, and illegal immigrants are allowed to clean the office of the department that's meant to remove them. That is just a typical week in Labour's home office. Now, while all the other ministers are being moved, there is one minister who's held the same job for nine years and who said law and order was his priority. When is the Prime Minister going to take personal responsibility for this shambles? very happy to take uh, personal responsibility. But let me just remind them that according to the British Crime Survey, overall crime is down in our country, not up. We have put in place the anti-social behaviour legislation, also measures that he failed to support in this House. We've also actually toughened sentences, which is why there are more people in prison and they're serving longer prison sentences. He voted against the measures that allowed us to do that. And in addition to that, we have an extra 14,000 police officers and he voted against the investment for those police officers. So with the greatest respect, again, although he talks in general about how much he cares about crime, in particular, he ends up voting against the measures necessary to deal with it. Ten people die a week in this country because of asbestos-related cancers due to the negligence of the former employers. Now, I don't expect the Prime Minister to give a decision now or an answer, but would he look into this as a matter of urgency to ensure that those workers get the rightful compensation and not be dragged through the courts by multinational companies? Well, I do know about the issue that my honourable friend raises, and I have actually met other members about it. I hope we will be in a position over the next few weeks um, to give a position on this that I, I hope will give some comfort and succour to the people in the position that my honourable friend addresses. St Mingus Campbell, <laughs> may, I, may I begin by associating my honourable and right honourable friends with the tributes paid to Eric Forth. Uh, I too can pay occasionally painful tribute to his wit. Uh, following the tragic shootings in Dunblane ten years ago, Lord Cullen recommended a national firearms register 
Why has the Home Office not yet put this in place? We have, of course, um, banned the use of handguns and taken many other measures, including saying that those who are in illegal possession of a firearm get a support the police and others in the work that they do. Then when we bring forward the next measures, I hope you will support them. Julie Morgan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, what can the Prime Minister say to my constituent, uh, Mr. John Flynn of Flanishan in Cardiff North, who worked for Allied Steel and Wire for 30 years, will be retiring next year at 65, and will be receiving a works pension of £80 instead of the £800 he was expecting and had contributed to for 30 years? Can the Prime Minister extend the financial assistance scheme? to help Mr Flynn and all the other Allied Steel and Wire pensioners? Well, as I think I said in March, there is a strong and compelling campaign for the review of the financial assistance scheme. I said we would expedite it then. We have done so. And my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, will be making a statement on the pensions white paper tomorrow that will deal with this issue also. Mr Speaker, the education bill before us today will give greater independence to schools, it will raise standards and it will give parents more choice. The bill will pass without being wrecked because we have given it our backing. The Prime Minister has been prepared to drop tribal politics and accept Conservative support in the interests of parents and pupils. Does the Prime Minister think the Chancellor will take the same approach? Um, Well, I, I will point out to him what the Chancellor has done. As a result of the strongest economy since the war, as a result of interest rates, yes, I'm going to take every opportunity he did ask me about the Chancellor, I'd like to talk about it. As a result of the Chancellor's economic record, interest rates are half what they were. Unemployment is down, employment is up. And as a result of that, we have been able to invest in schools, in our pupils, in higher education, and I can tell them that investment, along with the reform, will continue. Well, if the Chancellor is doing such a good job, why doesn't he let him take over? <laughs> um, he may... He may... You may want to forget this, but actually we had a general election a year ago. We won, they lost. Uh, I know that the Prime Minister is aware that the question of illegal immigration is in the papers consistently, and it's difficult. I came across a case the other day where a man from Ghana came here for an eye operation and he stayed here for 10 years on benefits. This bloke didn't work at the Home Office. He worked as a Tory party worker in 1995. The Home Secretary at the time, the Home Secretary at the time, who should have been counting illegal immigrants, he missed one right underneath his nose. We now told the Tory party what to spread happiness. Stop well, I don't know. Uh, 
I don't know whether the greater mistake was illegal entry into this country or working for Tory central office. <laughs> Tim Gould. In January, the government's health white paper said, and I quote, we will develop a new generation of modern NHS community hospitals. Just before the election last year, the West Suffolk Primary Care Trust confirmed that a new community hospital would be built in Sudbury in my constituency. Just after the election, those plans were cancelled, and now the Trust has decided to shut the existing and very highly valued community hospital. Does the Prime Minister want his legacy to the people of Suffolk to be the destruction of their health services, or would he prefer to meet my constituents just for 10 minutes to understand why they, they prefer the policy in the white paper to the actions on the ground? I would only point out to him that, that how um, services are organised obviously is a matter for the local um, primary care trust and strategic health authority, but I do point out to him that the funding has increased by over 30% in the last three years, and it's due to increase by 20% in the next two. And as a matter of fact, I think there is rather a good um, record that we have in relation to his health authority, because the number of people waiting more than six months for inpatient treatment has fallen, well, people do care about this, I may point out to the party opposite, has fallen from over 12,000 to two. So I think that's part of the record of this government. Does the Prime Minister think it is right that we have a situation that currently only 30% of women who reach state retirement age are entitled to a full state pension compared with 85% of men? No, I think that, that is one of the reasons why it was so important to have the Turner Commission and report and why my right honourable friend will be able um, tomorrow to um, say what is our view about the long-term pension framework for the future, but she's absolutely right in saying that, of course, many women who have either been unable to work, perhaps they've been caring for someone, have not built up their pension contributions, and this is precisely one of the things that my right honourable friend will address tomorrow. Question number four, Mr Speaker. The honourable member raises an important issue, and I recognise this is something he feels very strongly about. The staff at the Nuffield Speech and Language Unit have a good track record providing intensive speech and language therapy to children with severe learning difficulties. As I know he is aware, the future of the unit is currently under consultation. I do, however, understand that the Trust is going to have a meeting where this whole issue of the future of the unit will be discussed later this week. And I'm sure that the Royal Free Hampstead NHS Trust will listen to all the views expressed before making a final decision. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I thank the Prime Minister for that helpful and informative reply. For 35 years, the Nuffield Unit has provided the specialist help for those children with the very severe speech and language disorders that the Prime Minister described. Given, however, that as things stand, the unit faces the threat of closure purely on financial grounds, will the Prime Minister agree to consider how to safeguard it, whether by specialised commissioning or by some other means, as a unique resource for the benefit of some of the most vulnerable children in this country? Well, we certainly should consider, and obviously this is primarily a matter for the, for the Trust, but we certainly should consider how to and preserve it and its expertise. I mean, he knows what the, the issue is. As I understand it, um, at the present time, 
there are a number of children in the unit, but I think a significant proportion of those are due to leave in July. And therefore, obviously, the income for the unit would diminish. However, I understand there have been referrals that have been taking place over the past few weeks. And so I think it's in that context that this meeting next week um, is going to take place. And I'm very happy to um, keep a, a, an eye on it personally and correspond with them about the outcome of that meeting. Would the uh, Prime Minister confirm that he did indeed ask the Deputy Prime Minister to give up his grace and favour mansion at Dorney Wood? I have no intention whatever of discussing the reshuffle or any matters associated with it. My right honourable right friend will be aware of the appalling murder last week of Cian Prince a popular hard-working student of the London Academy in my constituency. The 15-year-old boy whose bright future was tra tragically cut short by an assailant's knife. We all hope the knife amnesty starting today will succeed, but what can my right honourable friend do to convince young men that knives are not fashion accessories but offensive weapons, and that carrying a knife both risks a heavy sentence and also the greater likelihood of becoming yet another knife victim as well? Well, obviously that was a particularly... Uh tragic case and our condolences must go to the family um, of my honourable friend's constituent and he will be aware um, today there, there is the start of the, the knife amnesty which worked successfully some years back um, and hopefully will again and that follows on the successful gun amnesty in April 2003 but I should point out to him that in addition we're doing two other things first of all we are adding a range of knives to the offensive weapons list and that we are also raising the minimum age at which a person can buy a knife. And where a child uh, is threatened in any way, this will constitute an aggravating factor. But we will continue to do everything we can with the police to make sure that the penalties are sufficient for those in illegal possession of a knife, and also that we are doing everything we can to discourage young people from getting into a knife and gun culture that is not just appalling for its victims and the people who suffer the violence, but actually does nothing for the lives of those engaged in it. Robert Goodwill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Given that the Hutton report was an inquiry about the death of a public servant, should copies signed by celebrities be auctioned to raise funds for a political party? Yeah. Again, uh, I just say to the honourable gentleman that I do not believe that any offence to anyone was intended. Tom Harris. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This week, at the start of the uh, UK Wide Knives Amnesty, the Scottish Parliament will be debating an amendment introduced by my own MSP, Charlie Gordon, which will um, call for mandatory prison sentences for anyone carrying a knife in public, in exactly the same way the law currently deals with those carrying guns. Will the Prime Minister consider introducing a similar law for the rest of our country? Well, we certainly look very carefully at, at how we can deal with this situation, which is somewhat different from guns, because there obviously can be reasons why particular people would, would carry a knife. But we are actually giving urgent consideration, um, not just to banning a whole series of other um, knives that can be used potentially as offensive weapons, but also making sure that, that there is some minimum sentence if someone is found without good reason in possession of a knife. And I think that is something well worth looking at. In 1997, the Prime Minister said that things can only get better. <laughs> Nine years on, 
When will the Home Office get better? <laughs> First of all, I, I'm, I'm grateful to him for giving me the opportunity to say how things indeed have got better. Um, the economy is stronger and unemployment is down and employment is up. Um, it is also the case that waiting lists and waiting times are down in the National Health Service. The school results have all improved at 11 and at 14 and at 16 and at 18. And in relation to the Home Office, crime is down, as I pointed out earlier. The, there are record numbers of police. Indeed, there are record numbers of police in his own area. My right honourable friend may have noticed that the EU is trying to control the salaries of top uh, football players. Does he agree with me that the salaries of some others, those who run railway companies, chief executives of housing associations, and even vice-chancellors, is out of control, especially by comparison with the pay awards being received by those who work for them? Surely nobody should earn more than the person who runs the country. <laughs> not sure about that. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was going to make a really helpful suggestion, say the person who runs the country should be paid the same as the footballer, but no. Um, if I can say to him, I think there are, uh, there are always uh, issues about how many people, how many people we should have um, on, on what salaries, but I think my own view of this, including in relation to football as well, is that it is actually very difficult to find a system that properly controls such things, especially... Prime Minister, join me in congratulating the Swansea Division of the South Wales Police on their excellent recent crime figures that were published. Overall crime down by 32%, burglary down by 32%, and also crime down by 48%. I'm sure he will agree figures that are worth celebrating. Well, I'm very happy to uh, congratulate the police, my honourable friends, constituency. But of course, this is a pattern in which crime has fallen overall in the past few years. That is no consolation to anybody who is a victim of crime. But the fact is the police have got more resources than ever before. The law has been toughened to allow them to deal with things like antisocial behaviour and now serious and organised crime. And I'm delighted to see it's produced such good results in my honourable friend's constituency. Philip Hollaborn. In Northamptonshire, 250 people are classified as persistent and prolific offenders and they commit 85% of the crime in the county. Shouldn't the law be changed to ensure that these people, when caught and sentenced, serve their time in jail in full? Surely the, the most important thing is that all the way through their sentence and afterwards, they are properly monitored and supervised so that even after they've left prison, because some of these people who are prolific offenders will leave prison, that they are then supervised in a way that allows us to track their movements and know exactly what is happening to them. That is precisely the measures that we included in the legislation that was voted, uh, or rather abstained on, by the Honourable uh, member and his party opposite. And what I say to him about any of these issues, whether it's to do with drugs or organised crime, where again the measures were either voted against by the party opposite or abstained upon, if we want to tackle these issues, we have to have the measures necessary. We will propose those measures and I hope he supports them. Mr McKinley. Uh, can I remind the Prime Minister that he and I were elected on a manifesto which gave a commitment that bank holidays would be over and above the minimum national holiday provision. 
Will he give an undertaking that this will be fulfilled and implemented by the third summer of this parliament? My honourable friend quite rightly refers to the Warwick Agreement, and I can assure him that the Warwick Agreement will be honoured in full, as we have said, um, in respect of trade unions and employers. And the reason for that is that it brings decent minimum standards into the workplace. And that will be a very, very important difference between this side and the party opposite. Guardian Unlimited.